Hello, everyone, and welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, a podcast from AIM10X dedicated to uncovering the best practices and most valuable learnings from the world's leading change agents and community of global innovators. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and as always, we're here to provide you with the actionable insights from today's greatest thought leaders to guide and accelerate your journeys. In today's episode, the season three finale of Masters of Digital Transformation will be rejoined by the O9 Solutions co-founder and chairman Sanjeev Sidhu to discuss how he built two multi-billion dollar companies. We'll start by talking about Sanjeev's origin story, including what drew him to initially work in technology, along with a little bit about how he scaled the success of his first company, i2 Technologies, and then we'll cover the key learnings Sanjeev took from his first company when co-founding 09 Solutions. We'll then close out the conversation by taking a look at how he used digital transformation to successfully grow both businesses. Without further ado, it's time to meet the man of the hour. Sanjeev Sidhu is the co-founder and chairman of 09 Solutions, and as chairman, he advises CXOs and boards of several global corporations about shaping their digital transformation through modern planning platforms. Prior to 09, Sanjeev founded i2 Technologies. Enterprise companies still rely on the advanced planning systems, concurrent planning, and closed-loop planning and execution pioneered by Sanjeev. Sanjeev, welcome back to Masters of Digital Transformation. Hey, Caleb, how are you? Doing well. Thanks, Sanjeev. How are you? Good, good, good. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the discussion. Excellent, excellent. Well, Sanjeev, you've had a very impressive career, without a doubt, but there's an even more incredible story behind that. And I want to start things off before we even get to the companies that you co-founded. I want to learn a little bit more about how you made your way to tech. What exactly was your journey that led you to working in the field of technology? Wow, where do I start? (laughs) My dad was a research chemist. He was a PhD in organic chemistry. And he headed a research lab in India. And I actually lived in a community of scientists. So most of my neighbors were PhD scientists. And so I grew up with technology around me and a lot of uh, scientists around me. Studied engineering in school, a different kind of engineering, chemical engineering but focused on the area of process control, which is highly digital in nature and uh, kind of brought me more and more towards getting fascinated by computer science. I ended up working for Texas Instruments in their controls division first, building industrial control uh, computers and industrial control systems. And it was extremely early days of AI, And TI had a very early AI lab that I heard about. And then I started studying AI on my own while I was working in control systems. And uh, luckily, I got a break and the AI lab offered me a job because they were looking for people who worked for TI's divisions and had a good understanding of what the divisions need. And so I joined the AI lab to be able to represent what the industrial control systems business needs and uh, start of a long journey in AI, uh, essentially starting that journey when people had never heard of AI. And my father, who was the scientist, often joked that his son worked in AI because he lacks real intelligence. Wow. I can only imagine it. How were the family dinners after that comment? (laughs) <laughs> still fun, still fun. 
Of course, you studied AI before it was a concept that people really fully understood. So I have to ask the question, I mean, at what point did you decide, hey, I want to go start my own business in this area that is almost completely unknown to most people, including business leaders? The AI lab at TI, as you expect from a company like TI, was fairly practically oriented. And I was working on uh, decision support problems, supply chain problems, particularly looking at TI's uh, semiconductor supply chain, but was building systems for TI's internal use and then felt that there would be a market for that, a very early market for that. Most people thought I was crazy. In fact, one of the senior executives at TI offered uh, to provide me counseling because I might have been losing my mind to go start my own company in this area. But uh, I did. And if I knew how challenging it would be at that stage, I might not have done that. But luckily, I didn't know all the challenges. And luckily, with a great team, a lot of innovation, great customers, and a lot of luck, everything seemed to work out. All right, now I wanna hone in on this. You founded i2 Technologies out of your apartment in 1988, which I'm sure came with its own set of challenges. Tell me a little bit more about what it took to get your operation off the ground at the time. Well, that would take all day. Perhaps I can start with a story, right? Most people talk about what was difficult. At one time, I was the main developer of the software and the main salesperson. At one training of I2 sales teams, I was telling them about how I used to make 40 to 50 calls a day. And people wondered how one person doing several other jobs could make that many calls. And I said, most of the calls were easy. If I got through, how many customers do you have? Zero. How many employees do you have? One. And boom. So it was usually a very short call. <laughs> but in all areas, you get breaks. Eventually, you get breaks. We got our uh, first customer. And instead of selling software, we would, of course, sell our expertise in supply chain management, uh, which was largely uh, taking a new view as to how to look at the supply chain problems and a very fresh view, at least that's what the customers found, that even though I did not have too much experience, they were willing to listen to uh, what we had to offer, largely because of the focus on first principles, uh, largely because of clear understanding of why value was leaking out of people's systems and taking a fairly simplified approach to how to plug the gaps, which also was reflected in the software we were building. So the early company was essentially myself and Ken Sharma, who without which the company wouldn't have been what it was. He had much more expertise in supply chain management than I had. And essentially we were consulting with customers and the initial software was essentially Ken and Sanjeev in a box. Wow, it, it really does sound like the two of you were a, a good match, where he provided some of the knowledge related to the supply chain industry, you brought in the technology side of things, and you eventually defined success with the software via the product Rhythm. What would you say was the key to scaling the business success all the way to the company eventually going public in 1996? Yeah, scaling is a fairly complex topic. What is scaling involved, right? It involves scaling the product to meet more customer needs as you go 
uh, towards greater and greater customers, their needs are different. Each industry, for example, consumer goods or semiconductor, steel, automotive, everyone has their own specific needs. And so you have challenge in all areas. It's in product, how to scale the product, how to add more features very rapidly without actually making it less interesting for existing customers, right? Just uh, say you have an iPhone. It's a fairly straightforward UI. If you want to address more and more flexibility needs of very sophisticated customers and simplicity needs for grandmas, how do you mix it all together becomes a challenge just in one area of scaling, which is product. But you need to scale in all areas, right? Which is the delivery services because you need to deliver in Japan, you need to deliver in Korea, you need to deliver in South America. And you have to figure out what kind of people do these regions need? Where do you get the people? How do you train the people? Same in sales. So it's all about looking at these areas quite thoughtfully and finding that best combination of simplicity and opportunity that comes together and works. I love the iPhone example that you you described there. You had tremendous success of i2, but I really want to move on to talk a little bit more about how you transitioned from i2. I want to pause there. You founded one very successful company, and a lot of people would say, hey, I'm good. I'm going to call it quits, or I'm going to take a break from there. What exactly enticed you about starting the second company, 09 Solutions? Chakri and I had several deep discussions, Chakri being the co-founder of 09, uh, and we use the analogy of an unfinished painting. The painting was good. A lot of people looked at it and said it was an awesome painting. But if we were to do it again, we would do it differently. And uh, a lot of things about that painting that we did not like would, of course, be addressed, corrected, and taken to the next level. What are those? I, too, focus largely on the supply chain and did great things. But the technology was 20 years old and technology becomes harder and harder and new opportunities become available because cloud computing was becoming available. A lot of new AI tools were becoming available as freeware that you could start using. So the opportunities were huge. Expand the area of opportunity. If a supply chain has a lot of excess inventory, what are you going to do with it? You can reduce it through measures within the scope of the chief of supply chain. But many of the measures require collaboration with the chief of marketing, with the chief of sales. And that brings you from supply chain planning to truly integrated business planning. So that was the vision for 09, is truly integrated business planning, making use of the newer technologies, cloud computing, uh, AI techniques, uh, better able to form this idea that we call the digital brain. And digital brain is not just expanding to other areas of decision support, a la addressing the needs of the VP of marketing, addressing the needs of the chief of sales, addressing the needs of the chief of procurement, or addressing the needs of the chief of sustainability, for example. Those are expansions of the areas that you serve, but within an area, even within supply chain, we wanted to do much more. There's much more to be done than where I too left off. 
And that's what you've probably heard me talk about addressing the four W's of management, which is what is happening, why is it happening, what is going to happen, and what should I do about it? Those make the four W's, right? So if I'm looking at something, uh, sales, for example, it's dropping. That's the what is happening. Next is why is it dropping? Is it because of the weather? Is it due to competitive pricing? Is it because the product features are not good enough for the market? That's the second W. And that's very hard. Why is something happening? That's insight. That's where good AI comes in. And that's what we wanted to add. Then the next is what's going to happen, the third W, which is forecasting, right? And I too did forecasting, but I too and many other companies did forecasting largely based on how history had rolled out. In the new variability that we're seeing in the markets, history is no longer adequate. You need to know what's happening on the market, what's competitor actions, is there a pandemic happening? It's a completely new world, right? And history can completely mislead you. So there were new ways of not just forecasting, but making what you forecast happen. So let's say you said your forecast was 100, you agreed that that's doable, then making it happen, which is connecting that to the fourth W, which is what should I do? And a continuous fast cycle between monitoring what's happening, why it's happening, what will happen and what should I do to really make a plan come about. And that's very distinct difference of O9 over I2, but not just over I2, uh, over most competition. So it really sounds like O9 had a more holistic perspective of the real challenges that are right here in front of us today. And we're going to talk about those here more in one moment. But could you first elaborate a little bit more on how a single platform enables businesses to react more quickly to these sorts of disruptive changes that we're seeing, such as the pandemic? Right. So if you take large customers of ours, take a Nike very affected by the pandemic, but also going through a business model change where history is no longer a great indicator. And what I'm sharing is public knowledge, uh, nothing proprietary about Nike. The major shift is uh, consumers buying more directly from Nike. It's consumer direct, whether going to a Nike store or uh, buying online, where they need more of a relationship with you, Caleb, and what you are going to buy versus what one of their retailers, which is still continuing to be important because it's a large portion of their revenue, or what one of their retailers will buy. And completing that whole cycle where understanding what is going to be bought, not at a large retailer level, but at a micro zip level. What would Caleb living in this zip code actually buy in terms of Nike shoes, and then planning everything more efficiently. What kind of inventory you need to keep, where you need to keep it, that's uh, going to be different. And then as the demand comes out, somewhat differently than you had planned because of weather, because of competitive issues, because effectiveness of marketing promotions, etc., then you need to react. So that continuous reaction is where the magic sauce is, right? Quickly detecting where deviation is coming and 
very correctly determining what to do and what's non-trivial about that is what to do is not a single point not what an inventory manager should do or not what a fulfillment manager should do but how the entire chain should react it could have implications on supply it could have implications on pricing promotions and everything put together so again as i noted a, a moment ago it really is a much more holistic picture versus just focusing on the supply chain uh, that you'd experienced and worked on previously at I2. Now, you are in the unique position of co-founding not just one, but two successful companies. I imagine there were probably some key lessons or learnings that you took away from founding I2 that you have applied to 09 Solutions. Are there any of those key learnings that you'd like to share with us today? I think there's some basic principles that remain same, basic operating principles, but I think it's also important to really look at what you didn't do well and very rigorously and ruthlessly improve upon those. And if you look at O9 today as how it functions, its basic operating methods, etc., cetera, uh, at the detail level are quite different than the management methods at I2. But the high principles are the same. What are those high principles? Focus on customer value leakage. Understand really well how value leaks out of a customer's processes. Design solutions, which is customer solutions and products that are the simplest solution for that value leakage. That means do the 80-20 rule correct, the Pareto principle correct which, by the way, permeates not just product and solution design, but everything. So all processes, product design processes, sales processes, customer success processes. In 09, there's a term called 10x that you must have heard. People talk about 10x. And 10x is the basic principle that look at everything you do and see how to do it 10x better. So what's the process of then looking at something you do and say you want to do it 10x better? You look at what's constraining it to be 1x right now. What's the variable that's keeping you where you are and stopping you from growing? Let's take a simple example that everyone would uh, understand. Let's take sales. If your sales is $100 and you want it to be 10x, which is $1,000, then the question you would ask in 10x thinking first is, what are the constraints, right? What keeps me go from going from 1x to 2x? Is the constraint new salespeople? Is the constraint product features? Is the constraint market's ability to absorb that increased revenue? Understanding that constraint extremely well is the first step. And then understanding the process for breaking that constraint. Now, that's where thoughtful planning comes in. And I feel that today, O9's planning processes, internal planning processes are far superior than we used to do at I2. And the team is fairly methodical in that. And looking at various areas of 10x, again, using sales as an example, looking at where is the opportunity? How much is the opportunity of growing within our customer base? What's the trade-off on going to a new industry where our investments would be large, revenues would be less, but 
in five years, it could be a great payoff. What is the right thoughtful method for doing that? And I think O9's teams do that fairly well. But I do want to come to my uh, favorite principle, and favorite principle is continuous improvement. Doing continuous improvement is really important, and that's why not getting stuck at this is how we did things at I2. And I uh, usually like to put that behind us. What I like to learn from it is what we did well, what we didn't do well, but then go to a continuous improvement process. And that's a big part of the religion at O9 is continuous improvement, what we do internally and what we do for our customers. We preach and practice continuous improvement. And part of the continuous improvement process, I think then the magic bullet to that is a really good post-game analysis. It's like having played a game, whether it's a football game or a basketball game, and then looking at the post-game video and seeing where the value leakage was, where did you lose points, where did you lose an opportunity to score points, and how to improve the process, which is developing a culture in 09 of true teamwork, which is not being super critical, but when people look at what you do critically, not be offended by it. It's a real gift that someone provides you by looking critically at what you're doing because together, together as a team, you can collaborate and improve and all feel better when we do and perform better in the game, right? Certainly, that sort of collaboration is an essential element to that continuous improvement. Earlier, you mentioned that when you co-founded a company at a certain point, you're going to be bringing on new people who are going to help you further realize that vision. What role did hiring the right talent play in the successful growth of both O9 Solutions and I2 Technologies? I don't feel that anyone would say that that's not amongst the number one things to do correctly. And at O9, I'm really proud of what Chakri and the team have done. And looking at several of the metrics, O9, for example, has some outrageous uh, sales performers who had never sold enterprise software before, uh, breaking what's very typical in B2B software sales. Some of our top performers today uh, never sold software before. And it's to Chakri and his team's credit to really build processes where uh, people who haven't done what they're doing in the past actually succeed, not just succeed, but hit it completely out of the ballpark and get outrageous success. Finding the right people, training them correctly, but creating this culture where all processes are continuously improving and at each individual level, a person who performed at 1x is performing at 510x uh, with the same amount of effort a few years later because they're so much better at making the shots. It really is so impressive to see people who are able to grow into these roles just as quickly as O9 as an organization. It speaks to the culture of continuous improvement and collaboration that's being fostered there. I want to shift gears here. There are a number of very timely pressing global challenges that we're seeing today. From your perspective, Sanjeev, how is O9 Solutions helping businesses overcome some of these global challenges that are present today? Let's talk about sustainability. Supply chains of corporations are one of the biggest users of global resources. 
no matter what it is, if something comes out of the earth, it's being used largely by a corporation. Of course, finally, it's going to a consumer in terms of being a car or an iPhone or a house we live in. But corporations play such a large role in the stewardship of these resources. And so first thing we focus is the core of our business is making a supply chain less wasteful, delivering the same things that you and I demand as consumers, but with less waste, meaning less inventory. Less inventory means less storage. Uh, Less inventory means less wastage because a lot of inventory many times goes bad, is thrown away, is damaged, etc. Meaning to say, for delivering this, if I have an inefficient supply chain, then I used up much more Earth's resources. I was much less sustainable. So sustainability is core to what we deliver by making supply chains more efficient. But we go further. We allow all kinds of businesses uh, or business decisions to be smarter, more time effective, and more efficient. Now, any of those can be used for good, and some of those can be used not for good. We campaign that our decision-making technology is used more for good than not for good. But then comes the important point, which is we have a new solution now for sustainability. And the key issue is that generally corporations have a sustainability budget where they're willing to invest. Let's pick a number for discussion's sake, uh, $10 million in improving the sustainability. Now they have many, many choices on how to deploy it, right? They can buy a better raw material or they can package their product in a way that the cost of uh, landfill is cheaper. You can use less water, you can use less energy, but there could be a trade-off. You could use less energy, but more land, which could be a trade-off. So it's all about trade-offs, trade-off, trade-offs. Oh, by the way, what did we do in supply chain? We did trade-off analysis. That's what decision support largely is. We're taking the same technology and applying it to sustainability. And it's going to be a very exciting area for us to serve. And I am personally very excited about it. But more than that, it makes our entire teams much more enthusiastic about what uh, we are doing. As it is, we were enthusiastic because of the first point that I made, that doing supply chain rights itself is a contribution to the environment. And now we have the opportunity to take it to level two or level three. Wow, that is a very powerful vision that you shared there as it relates to sustainability. Sanjeev, as we begin to wind down this conversation, I'd like to get your take on the future of planning. How do you expect to see O9 continue to shape and influence the future of digitization, demand planning, and decision making? Let me mix it with digital transformation, right? We all see amazing amount of transformation in our personal lives. We used to use Rand McNally paper maps to go from here to wherever we were going, and it was a cumbersome process. Today, we do maps, Google Map, Apple Maps, whatever we use, and we put in a point A where we want to go, and maps is automatically calculated. What is that? It's really planning. That's what we do for corporations. We do planning. They have goals. 
They have objectives. They key it into our software with a Google Maps that tells them this is the path you take. These are the amount of raw materials you buy. This is the amount of capacity you plan. This production you do on this machine, you transport it this way from here to the customer using truck, rail, airship, whatever. And so now it's taking it to the next level, just like you had Google Maps and you decided uh, to go from point A to point B and Google Maps told you how to do it. But now it sends you a message two hours before you need to leave saying, hey, there's traffic and you might decide to leave earlier and you might decide to go differently. That's essentially what digital transformation of supply chains or decision support is, where it's tracking what's happening in the market and coming and telling you what needs to be done. So besides the efficiency and the reduced value leakage that it will provide, it's also really encourages teamwork. Historically, what used to happen is there was a lot of finger pointing and there was much more tension in the companies where if something went wrong, for example, you weren't able to deliver to customer demand or you didn't meet your market forecast or plan. I was to sell 100 and we ended up selling only 70. If you ask the sales team, they would say, I didn't have product to sell. The shelves were empty. You talk to the supply chain team and they say, hey, I'm rolling in inventory. I have extra inventory. It was there on the shelf. The demand wasn't there. What is true, right? Digitization has the opportunity of not having the teams fight. The facts will be there and the software, the AI will tell you essentially what went wrong. So gaming reduces, teamwork increases, collaboration increases, and then you move towards a self-driving car. So corporations are made up of layers and layers of people. And sometimes you wonder what the middle layers really do. And one of the biggest functions of the middle layers is taking the initiatives or the objectives or the desires of the higher levels and communicating it lower, taking the problems here and communicating them higher and it's just information transfer, all that could be automated. So you'll see less layers of management because decision-making is becoming faster. Visibility is becoming faster, and it will be a new environment. Some people are going to say, wow, that's a lot of unemployment. And I think it's actually corporations will use people for not menial labor, which is done today, but for more interesting and rewarding tasks. The work was going to move towards more rewarding tasks, and that's what our solutions are providing. Digitization done right, that's what it's about. I love how you put it. It enables leaders to do more fulfilling work at the end of the day. It's really doing the things they're most passionate about versus those menial tasks as you described. Sanjeev, we've talked about so much today. Before we wrap up, For our listeners who are aspiring digital transformation leaders, what words of wisdom would you impart to those who are trying and working to use technology to drive growth in their business? What comes to my mind is really the magic is not really in the technology. Technology is super important and I'm not minimizing it, but it's the combination of thinking correctly about 
in your business, what does 10x really mean? Right? You're here. What is doing 10x better in your different processes mean? And having a clear view of that, that starts with where is the value leaking? Where are the constraints to improving going from now to 10x? What would a continuous process look like? Once you understand that, then you can marry that with technology. Now, there is an error people make when they take the words that I just mentioned. They do four years of analysis paralysis where they're saying, let me analyze what 10x means to me, what's wrong with my process, where is value leaking, etc. That is not what I'm proposing. I'm actually not proposing that you first learn how to swim, then dive in the pool. With digitization, you have to get in the pool and then learn how to swim. Uh, same with a bicycle, right? You have to ride it to learn. With digitization, you have to get in there fast and do continuous improvement. You already know the 80-20 rule of where the value is leaking. If you don't, shame on you, right? You already know what needs to be improved. So you don't need a two-year analytical process paying a consulting company $20 million to do a process redesign. In the digitization world, the digitization actually allows you for a continuous process redesign. You can almost go in with the current digital technologies, intercept your current process, be there, be running, and then you can continuously improve it and get there faster. Again, we're going back to that principle of being agile and focusing on continuous improvement. I think that's well said, Sanjeev. We are out of time today. It's been a great pleasure, and I really appreciate your time. So listeners, this has been Sanjeev Sidhu, the co-founder and chairman of O9 Solutions. Sanjeev, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Caleb. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to today's episode featuring Sanjeev Sidhu covering the story of his successful founding of two multi-billion dollar companies. We started by talking about Sanjeev's origin story, including what drew him to initially work in technology, before we talked about the key learnings that Sanjeev took from his first company, i2, when co-founding O9 Solutions. And then we closed out the conversation by taking a look at how to be digital transformation leaders in your business. Now, if you enjoyed today's conversation with Sanjeev and you'd like to learn more about how technology can help organizations build a more sustainable supply chain, you can check out the O9 Solutions blog post, Sustainability is at the top of the agenda for companies, and that blog is going to be linked in today's show notes. To keep up with more episodes of Masters of Digital Transformation or to revisit any of the previous episodes from this season, please head on over to your preferred podcast app and consider leaving us a rating and a review. Those apps include Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you can find us wherever your podcasts are found. You can also learn more about the activities and learning opportunities available through the AIM10X Innovators Network by following AIM10X on LinkedIn. To sign off on this season of Masters of Digital Transformation, I'd like to echo the words of William Durant, the co-founder of General Motors, when he said, forget past mistakes, forget failures, forget everything except for what you're going to do now and do it. On that note, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you again in the new year.